remain standing, please turn in your Bibles to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, the book of John chapter number eight. John chapter number eight. I will read out loud. I'd like you to follow along with me silently. I need our people to look around. If there's someone that is not does not have a Bible or having trouble finding, uh, we want to help them. And so uh, excuse yourself and move on over next to them and help them out a little bit. Okay? Uh, I've got a young man right here. I need, uh, oh, he does? Okay. I can see him. We good? All right. Thank you. John chapter number eight, verse number seven. I will read out loud. You read silently along with me. We'll read this together. Verse number seven, John chapter eight. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. There's a lot in those verses right there. I want to talk to you about that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for its never changing. You meant exactly what you said when you walked upon this earth. You meant exactly what you said even before time ever began, and you said, thy word is settled in heaven. You meant it then. It does not change because we do. You're not trying to catch up with the latest things going on. You're already at the end of everything and know everything that's going on. May we remember that as we read your word to not make excuse about, yes, but things have changed. You have not. You are the same yesterday and today and forevermore. I change not. Help us to remember that as we begin to hear truth. Apply it to our life. Thank you for everything. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. If there's one person in here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, I pray that this morning will be that day of a new birth, a spiritual birth, one that is eternal, that takes place inside of a man. Please help us this morning. I love you and thank you for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. She found an old King James Bible in that cheap hotel. She read the story about Jesus and the woman at the well. She found herself inside those pages and wondered how she had got so far gone. So far away from home, and she cried, I'll do anything. Do whatever it takes to make something of my life. I'll find a way to start all over and wipe the slate completely clean. I'll do anything. 
From the other side of Calvary, God saw us lost. He looked at you and me, then he looked at the cross. Oh, the price, the sacrifice it would take, who would pay and who would go. Then Jesus stepped down from his throne and he said, I'll do anything, I'll pay any price, do whatever it takes to make something of their lives. I'll find a way start all over and wipe the slate completely clean. I'll do anything. I'll take up that cross, lay down my life and go to Calvary. I'll go through hell three days and come back with I'll do anything, I'll pay any price, do whatever it takes to make something of their lives, I'll find a way to start all the sleigh completely clean. I'll do anything. I'll do sick and worried, 
brokenhearted, didn't know what was going to go on, uh, wondered how things were going to turn out. You know that was you. Look up here. Imagine taking on the sin and burden of everybody from Adam to the last man. Trillions of people at one time. I believe that was the cup he said, Father, in any way. But here's what he said, nevertheless, whatever he wants, what's important. That's all that matters is the will of the Father. Jesus set that example for us. You know, we, yeah, but, but I can't. Well, who knows? The only thing that's important is the will of the Father. What is his will? Right there it is. Okay? While we're all running around looking in the sky for special signs, wonders, bright lights, whatever the case may be, you have probably 90, 95% of God's will right here in this book. So if I were the devil, I'd keep you from reading it. I'd keep you from understanding it. I'd keep you in the dark and not knowing and can't figure it out till you finally go, whatever. Gotcha. So God gave us this book, an eternal book. Before time ever began, forever, O oh Lord, thy word was settled in heaven. God said he would preserve his words unto all generations. God said, God said that. So there has to be an every word Bible somewhere. Out of all of the 300 and some different so-called versions of the Bible. God said, I will preserve my words to all generations. There's got to be an every word Bible somewhere. But the world has made you think one's as good as the other, right? I mean, basically they're saying the same thing. Basically. Hmm. So I'm basically going to write a love letter to my wife. And I'm going to give it to Dave. Dave, make sure my wife gets this, would you please? And on his way there, he has a better idea. You know, I know how the preacher talks. I think I can say it better than he can. I know he wrote it. I, I know he normally means what he said, but I, I have a better idea. I think she'd understand it better if you rewrote some of that. So he rewrites it. Takes my love letter, rewrites the one to my wife, gives it to her. My wife opens it up and goes, that's not what my husband sounds like. My husband doesn't talk that way. He doesn't use words like that. He's always very purposeful. He knows exactly what those phrases would lead me to think. This is what your different version of the Bible is all about. They have taken exactly what God meant for you to read. Well, I can't understand it. Oh, hogwash, wash the hog. Yes, you can. We got people that spend their whole life. My daughter-in-law and my son-in-law, between they have four degrees. Okay, we're going to write that down. Thermometer. Uh, four degrees. And smart people, very, very smart people. When it comes to the Bible, God knows what he's talking about. If you're really a smart person, you'd understand that. If you're really a smart person, you'd say, you know something, if I spent a little more time in this Bible, I'd be able to understand it. It's called the King's English. Now, this isn't part of the message. I mean, this is for free. I'm not charging you for this. It's called the King's English. There has never been a more proper English than the King's English. So I have a question for you. The these and the thous and the, the way it's poetic talk. I mean, why don't they change that? Why don't they change Shakespeare? Or the Iliad by Homer. Why don't they change that? Oh, no, 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 no. Can't change those things. Those are sacred things. Oh, my. Oh, you'll ruin everything if you change it. But they constantly change the Bible. Have you ever asked yourself why? 
Why the attack on this book? Why did Hitler try to burn every one of them? Why did the Catholic Church try to destroy them all? Why did people so upset? I said, Catholic Church, look at me. If you want to defend, that's because you have no idea what you're talking about. Okay? So I, I'm not even upset. Look at me. Let me see. So I want to talk to you. Look at look in John chapter 8, verse 9. Anybody know John Newton? Not Fig Newton. John Newton, I love Fig Newtons. Put them in ice cold milk. Oh, that's the way to eat them, right? Amen. Coming down to your level now. Preaching at you now, ain't I? Uh, and so John Newton was a uh, slave trader. Owned his own ship and used to take slaves from one country to another. He's a drunkard, constant drunkard, unsaved, and this is what he used to do. And one day on his journey, he fell overboard. You know how they got him back in the boat? They harpooned him right through the thigh, drug him back on board. As life went on, he realized that he needed God. God pointed that out to him. He got saved. He stopped all of that and begin to help other people understand not only Christ, but what they were doing was sinful and was wrong. He was a white guy. So anyway, here's what happens. John Newton said this, okay? Here's what he said. I am not what I ought to be. Listen carefully. Listen. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But by God's grace, I am not what I used to be. John Newton is simply saying, there's been a change in my life. When I met Christ, my whole life changed. I want to talk to you about this this morning. There is always a change. There is always a change. When people meet the Savior, it always brings about a change. Look at me and listen to me. Whether you get saved or not, it will bring about a change. So you sit here and try to fake everybody out. Well, no, I go to that church. Nothing ever happens to me. I'm going to prove you wrong this morning. Okay? I'm going to do it with hopes that you'll turn to Christ and show you what's going to happen here. By the way, every time everyone meets the Lord, anybody, anybody meets the Lord, whether it's for salvation or after salvation, every time you come face to face, like this morning, you come face to face with Christ, there's going to be a change. There will be a change. People all over this church, since they have been saved, I'm just talking about a young couple, they just turned 30. Uh, just before they're 30 years old, I met them when they were 17. Actually, I met them before that, but that's when they got married. And uh, you talk about a change in people's lives. You talk about a change in people's lives. And yet you try to convince people and me and yourself that you met Jesus and there's no change. Basically, you're the same old person. You just go to church now. I hate to point this out to you, but that's not true. That cannot be true. There's no way that can be true. Many people would have us to believe that basically they're the same kind of people, though they've been preached to, though they've been witnessed to, maybe somebody in their family, their own life has changed, and you keep looking at them going, man, they sure have changed. But yet when you say you met the Lord, there was no change. How's that possible? How's that possible? In John chapter number 8, in this chapter, we see two classes of people. We see two classes of people in this chapter who represent all represent all who know not the Savior. Everybody we're going to talk about this morning in this chapter do not know Christ. In this chapter, they do not know Christ. So I'm going to talk to the whole world that says, I heard that, I read that, I, I, I saw that, God pointed that out, and there is no change. I want to talk to you about that this morning. Look, if you would, please, in verse number 3 through verse number 6. Chapter number 8, verse number 3. 
And Jesus said, neither hath this man, I'm sorry, chapter number 8, wrong chapter. Did that this morning. Chapter 8 and verse number 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. I'll, I'll describe all this in a moment. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, being beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. We have both of these people here, and we find out, first of all, in verses 3 through 6, that very first phrase right there in verse number 6, what we have here is the self-righteous unsaved. You have the self-righteous, un they're not saved, they're self-righteous, they're unsaved. Okay. Now I want you to look in verse number 3 and 4, Verse 3 and 4, what you have here is the acknowledged unsafe person. They acknowledge it. They know who they are. They're not fussing with it. So we have here the, the self-righteous unsaved. Now we have the acknowledged unsaved. Look at verse number 3 and 4. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. Kind of obvious, isn't it? We caught her. We saw her. We testified. We got it. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery the very act. Guilty. Guilty. No question involved. Got her. Everybody knows it. All these guys here, we caught her. We saw. You know what I always wanted to know? How did all those guys know where she was? And by the way, according to the law of Moses, you're supposed to bring the man also. According to the law of Moses, you catch somebody in adultery, the man and the woman both are supposed to be brought forth. So they're really messing up here. But I have a question for you. Do people really change when they meet Jesus? Now, those of us that are saved and trying to live the way we're supposed to be, we all agree. If you know anything about the Bible, you'd have to agree. So why is it some people don't believe that that's probably necessarily true? And if there is a change, is it visible to you and to others? Or is it just something secret that takes place inside of a man? Is it visible to everybody? Let's talk about this self-righteous person that we have right here to begin with. First of all, I want you to understand, self-righteous people are the worst people to deal with. You say, that's not very nice. I know, but it's true. It's not nice, but it's true. Because they are self-righteous, they don't want to hear anything negative about them or against them or what's not possible. It's just the way that they are. When they meet Jesus and reject him as their savior, they try to make everybody believe, yes, I went there. I went to that church. I heard him preach. It didn't, it didn't do anything for me. I'm trying to point out this fact that every time you meet Jesus, it will bring about a change. I'm going to use this story to prove that point if I can, and I think I can. And so what we begin to believe, we believe that little meeting with truth, that little meeting that brought no change, that little meeting where God talked to our heart, it really didn't change a thing in my life. Basically, I'm the same as I've always been. I want you to understand that's not true. Somebody, you said, makes no difference. Who was it? Did you go to a church and hear preaching? But didn't change it. Who was it? Was it a friend or a family member that their life actually really changed? And you keep looking. I was talking to Soren the other day. A lot of his, he, he's Cambodian, and a lot of his brothers were here yesterday, and family was here, and I mean street tough guys, okay, and uh, gang members, the whole thing, okay, and they keep pulling on him. They want him to change. I was talking to him yesterday, and I said, what do your family think about you? He said, actually, they're really proud of me, especially my mom and dad. 
said, what about your brothers? Do they still pull on you? He goes, yeah, they do. They still, while at the same time they see such a change, they want him back in that misery where they're at. But they see the change. Do you understand? It's not just going to church. It is a change that is visible to people and a lot of the people who know you well, like family members. Family members know you real well. And the church service where God spoke to you uh, and it was preached according to God's word, you mean it didn't bring about any change? That portion of scripture that you read or that track that you had and you read it, go, huh, how about that? I never thought about that before. You mean to tell me nothing brings a change in your life? In John chapter number 8, back to our story here, Jesus was in the temple early in the morning doing some teaching. We come to find out that some religious social do-gooders, and that's what religious people do. It's all about what people see in them, what they think about them. So they come to, you ready? They just come to hear what he had to say. Well, that's good, right? They come to hear what he had to say. And so we find out here religious people are wrapped up in their filthy, self-righteous garments. If you had a garment that you just took out of a pig pen and you put it on you and wrapped it around you and go, see how good I am? That's the way God would look at you. The Bible said all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Your very best day, according to the Bible, the way God would view you compared to Jesus Christ. If you're going to get to heaven by good works, you've got to be better than Jesus is. Or at least better than the Pharisees. Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, the Bible says. So if you're going to get to heaven by good work, and by the way, these people thought they were so good, they added 300 and some commandments to the law of Moses. I mean, like there wasn't enough laws in here. There wasn't enough you had to do and not do. They said, you know something? You know, they were so self-righteous that they, when they're with their long uh, uh, robes and stuff on, some of them were so self-righteous and wanted people to think they were so holy. When they walked, they would flip their, their, their robe out in front of them in case they were to step on a I want you to notice, in this story, they did not come to Jesus to find out about him. They did not come to Jesus to change anything. They were meeting with him to show him they weren't like the people he was talking to. We're good people. Jesus, we come to hear what you have to say. But understand, when you said, uh, repent of your sin, you're not talking to us. We're good people. We, we do all these right things. We're good people. You're not really talking to us. I mean, look at them. When they saw sin, look at they, what they did. They condemned sin. Uh, Jesus, we know what sin is. And that woman there, she's a sinner. Oh, boy, could they point that out. They knew people who were in sin. They knew people who weren't living right. These people could point out sin in a moment in anybody but themselves. Is that you? I don't know. I'm just preaching on a story here. I mean, just look at them. So we find out in John chapter 8, verse number 7, when people meet Jesus, do they change? Do they just come and go and come and go and come and go? And basically nothing's really happening. I want to try to change your mind about that. Look at verse number 7 once again. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at they thought and looked at themselves as there was nothing to change. Jesus very quickly pointed out and said, okay, if you're without sin, go ahead, throw the stone. 
You know what he was saying? You think too much of yourself. You're a sinner. And you have no right to say she's a sinner as though you're not. So he's trying to point this out to them, and he's, he's trying to get them to understand there is always going to be a change. There is always a change after the meeting. By the way, when you leave here this morning, there's going to be a change in your life. Whether you recognize it or not, things are going to begin to change. Listen to me carefully what I'm trying to get you to say. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 30, the Bible says this, He that is not with me is against me. See, no middle ground. God said, you're either here or here. Our world, we like the gray. We like the middle of the road. We like the you never know. We like the no absolutes. We love living there. You know what? And by the way, that area just keeps widening, doesn't it? Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me. Right? He said, you either gather with me or you scatter abroad. There is no middle ground. So God said, when I meet you, you're either going that way or this way. There is no, I don't understand yet. I'm not going to make a decision yet. Yes, you will. There is no neutral ground with God. There is always a change when you meet Jesus. I want you to notice, I'm going to point this out to you, the downward progression. These men simply came to, hear what he had to say. Well, if that's all it is, that's not going to bring a big change. We'll just listen to the guy. That's all we're going to do. We'll just listen to the guy. Let it go at that. So they came to him, and the first thing Jesus did was to point out, oh, okay, well, if you're without sin, throw a stone. They couldn't get past that. Boy, did that bring about a change in their life. I want you to notice in verse number 13. Look at verse number 13, that same chapter here. Verse 13, watch what it says. And the Pharisees, therefore, uh, said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Hold on, hold on. You came to hear what he had to say. Now you're calling him a liar. They say, oh, yeah, you're just witnessing of yourself. Really, you're not telling the truth. They called Jesus Christ a liar. Now, wait a minute. These are good religious people. These are good people who do not need to change a thing. And Jesus said, you without the first, uh, without sin, you cast the first stone at her. Now they're turning again. He, they just come to hear him talk, just like you did this morning. Let's just go to church and hear what this guy's got to say. I always like people who warn people before they come here. Now, look, our preacher's a man. He gets a little excited about stuff. Okay, I'm just letting you know before you get there. Don't do that. Tell him I'm a nice guy. And when they come here, let me shock them, okay? Now, look at verse number 19. Look at verse number 19. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father. They become, uh, they get angry at Jesus Christ, and they did not know God, and he pointed that out to them, and he said, You don't know me? You don't know the father. I'll bet that hit them right in the religious belt buckle, didn't it? I bet they looked at it and went, whoa, you can't say that to us. We're church people. Uh, we, we, we know something about the Bible. Uh, we, we don't hurt people. Uh, we, we are nice to our neighbor. We mow their ground. We paint their barn. Uh, we're really nice people. These are religious hypocrites. Look at verse number 22. They tried to make other people think he's possibly suicidal. They're talking about Jesus. Watch what he says here in verse number 22. You there? Verse 22. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? He's talking to them about the crucifixion, and they're trying to let people know the guy's going to kill himself. He's going to commit suicide. Wait a minute. They only come to hear him, but there's no change in their life. They come to him, tell him how good they are. And look, we can point out sin in other people's lives. We can do that. Now, all of a sudden, they're attacking Jesus, but there's been no change here. There's been no change in these people's lives. Drop down to verse number 33. Verse 33. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed. 
and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye, sh ye shall be made free? Better hold on a minute. They realized that Jesus was exposing their self-righteousness. So like a lot of people do, we start claiming our heritage. I remember when I was down in Chattanooga going to college down there that uh, you go knock on a door down there, and I'm telling you, it's weird. People talk funny. Hi, y'all. It's good to see you today. Can I help y'all? You know, and you go like that. And so uh, I knocked on the door. I remember a young lady one time. I said, ma'am, I'm so-and-so. I'm from such-and-such -such a church. We're just out here talking to people about church, wanting to know if they're saved and so on. Why, my daddy helped build that church. I said, well, yes, ma'am, I understand that. That's, that's great, but I'm asking you, has there been a day in your life when you received Christ? Uh, sir, I, I'm not sure if you heard me, but my daddy and my grandpa helped build these churches around here. I said, well, yes, ma'am, I understand what you're saying, but I want to know, do you personally know Jesus Christ? Is I couldn't get past her good works. She would not let me. What she was basically telling me was, look, I don't need to hear this. I'm okay. I don't need to hear this. I'm good enough. I don't need to hear this. I don't do anything wrong. And then she got upset. You ever notice people that never do anything wrong and they're really right with God get upset? You ever notice that? So watch what happens here. Go down to verse number 40. Verse number 40. Same chapter, verse number 40. But now you seek to kill me. Oh, oh, oh this is really great. Here's these nice religious do-gooders, these moral, self-proclaimed moral people. Now they're just going to go kill a teacher. They just come to hear the guy. And before it's all over with, they want to kill him. But there's been no change in their life. Does anybody see the change that's taken place? They didn't even receive Christ as Savior, and they're changing. People think they float in and float out when they hear the truth. The truth shall make you free, or the truth is going to make your conscience and yourself feel even guiltier about what's going on in your life. But you're not going to walk out of here the same way you walked into here. Drop down to verse number 48. Verse number 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say ye. Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and that's not right. Yeah, and, and a devil. Verse number forty-nine. And Jesus said, "I have not." Boy, this ought to be a kick, right? But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Wow. I mean, can you imagine? We are top of the food chain in religion. We're Pharisees. Now, today we say Pharisee like we know they're hypocrites and stuff. In this day, they were the top. I mean, when you talk about religion and churchgoers, if you would, these were the best people. And now they're thinking about murder. They called Jesus a liar. They didn't recognize him or his father. Things are changing. Whether people realize it or not, things begin to change. Now they accuse him of being a devil. Let's go hear this, this, this wise teacher. Let's go hear what he has to say. And I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's bring a real sinner, and we'll throw her at his feet, and, and, and he'll recognize what we just did. Well, he did. We'll get to her in a minute. But he's busy talking to them. By the way, by the way, you're sitting in here and saying, well, he was talking to everybody. No, God talks to you personally. When God talks to somebody, he talks to you. I don't care what the crowd is. I'm talking to you. When God's talking to you, he's talking to you. He's not just talking to everybody. He is talking to you. There's always a change in a person's life. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I was out soul winning one day and here, here in Columbus, not too far from here, and I knocked on a door, and an old man was in the summertime, and he said, come on in. I said, uh, he didn't know me, and I don't just walk in. I said, from the church, yeah, come on in. A real nice old guy, probably way up in his 50s. Uh, and uh, way up in years, you know, and he come on in, come on, sit down. I said, well, thank you very much. 
And I told them what we were doing. I thought, good, wonderful. That is great. So we begin to talk, and I promise you, I've told you a story before, 15 to 20 minutes, he never stopped telling me what all he and his family had done for other people. Good guy. You'd love to have him as a neighbor. I'd love to have him as a neighbor. I told him that. I said, you know, I'd love to have somebody like you for my neighbor. What better than a murderer, right? And uh, and so there we were, and then all of a sudden I said, sir, that, that's really good, and, and I'd love to have you as a neighbor. I'm sure everything you're saying is true. Can I just ask you, have you ever received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? This good guy who had been talking to me for 15 or 20 minutes, telling me how good he was, how good his dad and mom were, how good his grandparents, they, they bought whole campgrounds for, for churches. They helped put up buildings. They gave money so people could get pews. They did all these wonderful things. And all I asked him was, sir, has there ever been a day in your life when you personally received Christ as Savior? This sweet old man got up, cussed me out, and told me, get out of my house. these nice people who come before Jesus. Jesus didn't make them come there. He didn't talk them into something they really didn't want to do. They were going to do this to show him we recognize sin. We know what this is all about. But some people would have you believe that they actually met Christ in church. A friend of yours was trying to talk to you. You were reading the Bible and all these things were, and nothing took place. Nothing really changed. These people thought they were the top of the food chain when it came to being good religious people. And Jesus said, okay, okay, great. Then you, who's without sin, you throw a stone at him. Boy, he nailed him, didn't he? He nailed them. He's he nicer at it than I am, but he nailed them. May, they may have told their friends, people do, they met Jesus at that church over there, but the message was, you know, it's a little shallow. It's a little lacking. You know, the preacher didn't have all the etiquette, and he didn't have all the fundamentals of, of proper teaching and how to go about it. But, but, you know, it was okay. The presentation was lacking. Mannerisms had a lot to be desired. I wonder what they said about Jesus. You know he didn't go to rabbinical schools like they did. He didn't talk like they did. No, he talked as one having power and authority. Oh, that ate their lunch right there, didn't it? You can't talk to me that way. Sure I can. Sure I can. Folks, listen to me. We don't come to church to try to fool everybody on how good we are. We come to church to hear what Jesus has to say about us and about him and make those adjustments. There has to be a change in your life. When God is talking to you, there will be a change. If you reject it, there'll be a change. If you accept it, there'll be a change. Nobody stays the same after meeting Jesus Christ. People who used to like you, you know, uh, my sister's here. Forget when I, I got I used to be a really bad person, uh, hard to believe I know. Uh, I used to really seriously was a bad bad person, drug dealer, and ran gangs and did all of that kind of nasty stuff. And uh, you'd think my mom would be thrilled for me even use the word church. So mom, my brother talked me into it and said, "Hey, I'd like you to go to church." That was Saturday night too. You used to call that the devil's night. Hey, fellas, sit up, sit up, sit up, sit up, pay attention. And so uh, I went to church that night. And uh, that, that was only the second time I ever went to Baptist church in my life. Baptist people are weird. The preachers yell and scream about stuff. It's really scary. Now, here I was, big tough guy. This guy's yelling at me. In my head, I'm going, who's this guy think he is? Who's he yelling at? Who turned this guy loose? Shouldn't he be in a cage or something? And so I'm lit, but I'm intrigued because it seems as though he's talking to me. He actually knew a lot of what I've been doing. 
that was kind of weird. So I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to all of this. It's that's okay. There's no change. It didn't bring about change in my life. You know what I did? In the middle of the people that were there, I'm listening to this man talk. I'm listening to everything that he has to say, all that's going on here. And I run into him, and he starts talking. You're either going to run to Christ or you're going to run away from Christ. You're either going to change for the way God wants you to change or you're going to get worse the other way. You said, Preacher, what would you do? I ran away. I did not get saved that first time. I did not do that. I heard this guy, and I thought, you know, if I could get out from underneath this big mouth preacher, I'll feel a whole lot better. I'll go right back to normal. Well, things didn't go back to normal. Things didn't go back to normal by a long shot. Everything began to change in my life. You have to understand, when I was in, I was in the military at the time, I went to church the first time for a girl. I didn't know God was going to talk to me. I had, why? He never talked to me before. My church, my, my family wasn't religious. We were all Philistines. We were heathens, man. And the thing is, I went to church, and you think my mama go, oh, good, at least he's going to church. I come back the second time I went to the Baptist church, and I got saved on a Saturday night. I come in, I said, Mom, guess what happened to me tonight? What's that, honey? I said, I got saved. Oh, that's good. Lit up a cigarette, drank a coffee, listened to hillbilly music, went right on with life. That's kind of disappointing. I thought, hmm, all right, I thought it'd be more than that, you know. I thought there'd be sacrificial lamb and all that kind of good stuff. Nothing happened. I was kind of disappointed, but listen to me carefully. Change was happening. Inside and outside, change was taking place. Even before I got home that night, you look at me, you listen to me well. There is no such thing as you coming and meeting Christ and staying the same way you are. You're either going to get worse or you, I don't care who you are. I don't care, I don't care if you grew up in the middle of church and your dad was two pastors at the same time. You are going to change when you hear the truth. Amen. I got in the car with my brother that night, and we were driving back, and he said, we're going to stop at the Dairy Queen. I said, fine. He said, I'll pay. I said, that's good. So we stopped at the Dairy Queen, and right there, as God would have it, God forced, if you would, the testimony out of me that very night. Before I even left the church, there was this big old fat evangelist from, from Kentucky. He was a big old fat guy. And uh, he looked at me and said, uh, what happened to you, boy? Well, first of all, people don't talk to me that way. And I didn't know. Something happened. I, I didn't know what to tell him. If he'd have said, did you get redeemed? I never heard that word before. Did you confess all your sin? Did Jesus forgive? Now that I knew. Yes, I told him. Amen. He took my hand, pulled me over to him. Said, Give me your name and address. I'll write you when I get back home. And he did. He did. Well, we're going to the Dairy Queen that same night. And we're standing there in line. I got dried snot down here. I got big puffy eyeballs. I've been crying now. And I'm standing there like this, and my brother's standing here, and I can tell somebody's standing in front of him. And then I just watched their feet and legs move this way and went, oh, excuse me. And I looked up. You won't believe this. You will not believe this. The very night I got saved, I ran into a Baptist girl who used to date me in high school. I'm going to tell you something right now. Sinners and Christians do not date. You do not go out with each other. Bad idea. Not any good. One is light, one is darkness. One's following the world, one's following Christ. It's not going to work. You cannot do that. That's why you struggle so much. She turned around and she used to play piano in the First Baptist Church. When I got saved, uh, she turned around, she looked at me. It's the first time I'd seen her in, I don't know, a year and a half, two years or something. And she said, something happened to me. I never said a word. 
She said, I don't have time to talk to you right now. My fiance's here. Call me later. Okay, I bet that's a great relationship. And so, uh, just in case those of you that are dating right now. And so I said, okay, I happen to remember her number. Yeah. And uh, so I called her. When I called, she said, something happened to you tonight. I said, yeah. What happened? I saw one of y'all guys. Oh, oh, I'm so happy for you. Oh, oh, I can tell. But no change in you, right? You accepted Christ to save you. There's no change. Nobody would recognize it unless you chiseled it out in a piece of granite and dropped it on it. They wouldn't even know that anything happened to you. I'll tell you something else, too, before I get back to this. Brand new saved Christian. Knew nothing about the Bible. I didn't know Genesis from Revolutions. Didn't know anything about it. Okay? Seriously. I, I did. So if you're here and go like this, I don't want to bring a Bible. I don't know my, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know there's more one Mary than one. I didn't know there was a whole book about jobs. Well, how do you spell job? So I'm serious. That's how it, we just were. I had no idea. So, she, Ty, so we went home, and I, I had, and I'm not joking at all, that's serious. I went home, and here's what, here was on my mind. The whole time she was talking to me, I said, can I ask you a question? Yes, anything. I'm so happy. Ready? Ready? Look at me and listen. Amen. I just got saved. I didn't raise, wasn't raised up in church. I didn't know anything about it. I asked her, why didn't you tell me? Here's her excuse. Ready for this? I was afraid I'd lose you. Lose me? I was in two auto accidents they said I should have died in. I was in Vietnam. I should have died there. All the, and you were afraid of losing me? Why didn't you tell me about Christ? Amen. Because you tend to believe that if you tell somebody, there'll be no change. No, there will be a change. Yeah. They'll be either under more conviction and not know what to do and search for an answer, or they will receive Christ as Savior and receive that answer, but I'll not be the same. And she never said a word. Jesus didn't pressure these men. He, he didn't trick them into some religious language. See, that's what people think. Wait a minute. He's trying to talk me into something. You better believe I am. I'm trying to talk you into going to heaven and receiving Christ as Savior. Amen. I was, uh, there's an apartment. I, I wasn't there. Somebody else was. We used to go over here. Now, I guess they're going to maybe tear them all down or something over here. But we'd go over here on Georgesville Road. Uh, there used to be a big apartment complex right there. And uh, we'd go over there. Well, one day I got a phone call. And uh, this old man, uh, old man, probably in his 50s, uh, this old man uh, called, boy, was he upset. Of course, they always want to pass that on to preachers. Preacher, if you got on the phone, just talk to him. And uh, so I got on the phone yesterday, and I oh, man, was he mad. He was mad and angry. You know what your people, they're always my people. See? So you can't do what you want because you're my people. Like Moses, come unto me, all my people. And uh, so... So I said, uh, oh, he was mad. He was mad. He said, your people, they, I've been, I want you to know, I've been religious for 44 years. I had no idea what this was about. And your people keep coming by my apartment and telling me you have to be born again. All people have sinned, and you're not right with God again. I told them I've been religious for 44 years. What's wrong with my people? I said, well, sir, I, he said, if a person goes to church and a person is religious, that should be good enough. You know where I'm going with this, right? I said, well, sir, Jesus said, there is none righteous, no, not collectively. 
I couldn't figure out why it hung up on me. But I don't have a different message for you. I don't care what country you're from. I don't care what color you're from. I don't care what age you are. You have got to understand it. There is one salvation. There's one Jesus Christ. There is one God, and that's Jesus Christ, and his Father is Jehovah. That's it. That's it. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the name you have to call on. And if you do that, by the way, if you reject him, you're going to change. And if you accept him, you're going to change. Not just those who accept him. So we have to understand something here. The guy hung up on me. I can't figure that out. Am I talking to you today? You're here and just don't understand why I keep preaching this way, do you? By the way, I do the same thing to our high school. I teach Bible. Okay, God, I'll preach. Um, And uh, they just look at me like, what's the big deal? I'm looking for change. I want to see change. Why? Because everybody that meets Jesus Christ, there is a change in their life. Maybe there's somebody in here, you're kind of like these people here today. Why are you here? To continue building on how good you are? But then you hear stuff like this and you go, no, that's not what he's he's not talking to me. I'm a good person. I I don't do stuff that's wrong. Uh, By the way, I know what sin is. I can point it out. But it's not you. It's got to be somebody else. You are already a nice person. You would know sin. When you see it, you can even point it out. But today it seems as though you are being tortured too. Just like that Thursday night when I sat there. First time I ever heard a Baptist preacher in my life. I didn't know this. He had just got called to preach. I think it was a month or two before that. He didn't know much Bible. I didn't know much about Christianity. And yet it was just him and me. He was talking to me like he was inside my head and inside my heart. God was forcing, saying, what are you going to do? Bringing about a change in my life, and he's trying to do the same thing with you. But maybe you think you're this way right here. You need to give in to Jesus. You need to let him uncover you to you, and you need to be honest. It's not that he's not going to be honest with you. It's that we will not be honest with us. We keep making excuse like they did. Oh, no, we, we caught her. Yeah, we know what sin is. Yeah, it's all about her. It's, it had nothing to do with us. Jesus turned right back around and said, well, since you're here, fellas, let's talk about you repenting of your sin too. Oh, I bet that lit their fire. I bet they didn't like that a whole lot. You, 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 you never, you're never going to be the same. You just will not be the same. The Holy Spirit of God demands a decision to be made. When he's talking to you, he demands a decision. Why do you look so happy? And then, then we lie. I can't believe how many people never really feel good. You okay? I don't feel good. You haven't felt good now for about 10 years. You're using that as a cover-up. That something is seriously wrong. You want everybody to think the best of you, and it seems to be natural to do that, like these people here. But there was a reason Jesus pointed them out and was talking to them. He wasn't mad at him at this point. They come to hear him. He's going to tell them. First thing he wanted to talk to them about is their sin. Isn't that nice of him? First thing Jesus wants to talk about is what's wrong with you, and let's get this right. Like that woman right there. We'll get to her in a moment. Let's talk about her. And so we have to understand you need to give in to Jesus. If you reject him this morning, there's going to be a change in your life. I know some of you sitting here right now, oh, I don't believe that. Okay. All right. I have the religious do-gooders right here, church people. Know the law. Point out sin. Bring people to sin to Jesus. Know all that kind of stuff. My biggest concern for Anchor Baptist Church is second, third generation Christians who you know all the answers. You you can get to a book in the Bible before I even say what book it is. 
You've been around that long. You, I mean, you can quote it. Uh, you know the Greek, the Hebrew, and some other short people. You know all these kinds of things. And here I am trying to explain to you about you, but you won't hear it. And you actually think if you ignore it or you don't pay attention to it, it will not bring about a change. It will bring about a change. There's always a change. So there's your self-righteous that are, that, are, that are different, but they are different after the meeting. They're more upset, but they are different. I want you to go back to John chapter number 8, if you're not there. Let's talk about the unsaved after they met Jesus. We talked about the self-righteous, the people who don't know Jesus. Self-righteous, I'm good enough, I don't need that, I didn't come here for this, I come here to ask you some tough questions, this is what they were doing. We already know how to point out sin, you're not talking to us, and Jesus said, I am talking to you. You without sin, who do you think he was talking to? He was talking to religious people that thought they don't need to change. You know what he's saying? Yes, you do. If that's you this morning, please understand, the Lord loves you. He's just trying to take away that fakeness, that facade, that, that, that mask that you constantly wear in front of other people and say, I have nothing to change. I'm good the way I am. Yeah, I have a question for you. That if you're good the way you are, why did Jesus have to die for you? If you're good enough, why did Jesus go through all of that so you could have the opportunity to be saved? Look at me. I'm not mad at you. You're not as good as you think you are. The Bible said all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. He's referring to leprous rags that when lepers were done with it, they would take them and put them up on the wall and they were so crusty, they would actually just disintegrate and fall apart. And Jesus said, your righteousness compared to my son, that's you. So every one of us should bow our head and go, I don't believe God looks at me that way. If you have Jesus Christ, he looks at you through Christ. And that's why you're accepted. You're accepted in the Son in John chapter number 8, verse number 4 and 5. John chapter 8, verse number 4 and 5. And they said unto him, Master, this woman, now we're going to change our attention from these religious do-gooders who don't need to stray, everything's good in their life, to this woman here. Master, this woman was taken in adultery the very act. Now Moses, now they're going to quote law to Jesus, right? Let me just tell you what the Bible says, preacher. Thank you, appreciate it. Moses in the law commanded us, commanded us. He told us what to do about this, that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? What, 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 do you, what do you want to say about this? There are many folks in and around Columbus. They're not self-righteous. They don't claim righteous at all. They will tell you, my life's a mess. I'm a sinner. My, my whole life, they'll tell you right off. Okay, if you would have asked me back in the day, said, so you think you're a good guy? <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't do what I was doing and say I'm a good guy. Because you walk in this building did not make you a good guy or a good girl. You just simply walk in. Okay, if walking in a building will eventually make you a Christian, doesn't it make sense if you keep walking in a garage, you eventually you become a car? He said, that's silly. Exactly. Both of them are. You're not a Christian because you go to church. You're a Christian because Christian, Christ-like. I'm like Christ. So what happens here? There are many folks in and around Columbus who are not self-righteous in their own opinion of themselves. They will tell you flat out, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm guilty of that. I already know all these things. I got that. If they were in this woman's situation this morning, they too would say, I'm guilty. They would tell you. They would admit, I'm guilty. She didn't know what to do about it. She never met the Savior. These religious people acted as though they already knew God, and Jesus said, no, you don't. If you knew me, you'd know the Father. You don't know the Father, you don't know me. Right. 
I mean, he put, he put him down. He, he let him know where the rubber and the road comes together. He told him that. Now I've got this woman on her face in front of him who was caught in adultery. In case you don't know this, living with people and whoring around is wrong. Amen. I don't care what your excuse is. Amen. I've had grandmas and grandpas tell me financially we can't make it if we don't live together. <laughs> so living in adultery is okay because you have a financial need. You can't do that. Right. So living in sin People know that. In this story, this woman, they brought her and the whole crowd went away. It's kind of obvious who Jesus is talking to now, isn't it? There's nobody else around, kiddo, but you. It's kind of like that night when I got saved. I finally went to the altar. I mean, there's a big battle in my head and my heart because your flesh doesn't want you to get saved and make that change. And so I finally went to the altar. I didn't know, but in that church, everybody came forward and prayed, and they all prayed out loud. You say, bet that was confusing. I didn't know it. I mean, I was zeroing in on the Lord, and you want to hear my prayer? You say, what kind of prayer did you pray? Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me. You say, that's not the, what about Jesus and Mary and, and, and confessing? I was said, with the heart men believeth unto righteousness. I didn't know what to say from here, but Jesus was reading volumes from here. Amen. With the heart men believeth unto righteousness. You understand that? So what happens here? This woman, she knew she was guilty. Come on, you're caught in adultery. Uh, it's all according to how you look at it. No, I got all these people caught you right in the very act of adultery. And, and here she is, she's meeting with Jesus, and she has a choice right now. There's nobody else around, just her and Jesus. She has a choice, same thing you do. You can get up and walk out here, choose yourself another church, never come back here again. That's a change. Or you can run to Jesus and make that change. You're a free moral agent. It's your choice, but don't blame anybody else. Ty, look up here, Ty. Listen, listen to me, please, okay? Now, watch what happens here. After the meeting with Jesus, he told her, he said, I don't condemn you. You say, oh, so she, he's not condemning her of adultery? What he was not condemning her of was like what they were condemning her of. Hear what he said? Now, look, I want you to go, but I want you to sit in for a minute. Change. I want you to change. So you got saved. You continue to live with someone you're not even married. You go right back to the bar again. Right back to cussing again. Right back to accusing people, gossiping, whatever you do. No change? You're about ready to get a whole lot worse. This woman decided to run to Jesus. When I first met the Lord, I just told you a little while ago. It was so strange, and you got to admit it is strange. Somebody from off the street walks in, like all these guys here that, that are asleep. Uh, they all come, boy, are they interested. Uh, they come to church. They come to church to ride a bus, sing songs. Somebody say, hey, let's have a good time. I understand that. But when they get here, this is what they're going to hear. What did you think you were going to hear when you got here? A radio teacher? You thought you were going to hear somebody delve into the Bible real deep and explore deep things you don't know anything about yet? That's not what you need. Imagine what Jesus could have talked to this woman about. You know what he said? Um, I'm not going to condemn you. Why? She's condemned already. I, I want you to look at a verse. Uh, I thought I had it. I'm losing things here. Anyway, I, 
the first night I prayed, I did. My brother was so brokenhearted. That Thursday night, I thought if I get out of here, I'll be okay. I wasn't. I was still in the military. My brother begged me to come back inside. Please, please. He didn't even know how to tell me, but he knew what I needed to do. You don't need 15-year course on soul winning to tell somebody how you got saved and how Jesus can save you. You have a need? He'll meet that need. You're a sinner? He's the Savior. Let's get together. God, you're right about everything. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please. You do not need to take a course or understand the Bible to do that. That very night, I was up here from Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I was in the military. A lot of pride goes along with that kind of stuff. I was combat engineer, demolitions expert, all that kind of cool stuff. And uh, so I, if I could just get out of this parking lot, if I can just get away, I'll be okay. That's what you think, isn't it? You think if you go out here and you turn on your radio, you won't even hear this anymore. You think if you don't hear it here, that's not going to make a change in your life. I got out to my car that night, and it was froze up. Go figure. I couldn't get away. So I went back in to get my brother, and he said, well, let's find something. So all these nice Christian men come out to work on my car. Well, in those days, you had a big car with a smaller, there were big engines, but you had a lot of room around that engine. So before I got to the church that night, I put my beer up there to keep it cold. And also, that's where I hid my drugs. So I'm going to go to church. I get done, go change, I'll come back out, go on with my life. It was froze up. Well, those good people come out and said, well, well, uh, Brother Bell, uh, pop open your trunk and we'll see. No, 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 I'm good, I'm good. Just uh, if you push me a little bit, I'll pop the clutch. I'm sure I'll be fine. It had already started changing the very night I rejected him. He said, oh, that could happen to anybody. On my way home that night, by the next morning, it froze up again. I'm supposed to be at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. It was froze up. I had to call a tow truck. It was just my mom and, and kids leaving home. Had to call a tow truck. They took it over. They worked on things, and they charged me so much money. I had to borrow money from my mom just to get back on the road again. Finally, the very next day, it was like up in the 60s or 70s. Froze up that night before. That's okay. It's all accident. There's no meaning in this at all. No change at all. I'm heading down the road doing uh, about 75 mile an hour, heading down, I think it's 71 or 75, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and I'm just buzzing along, listening to my radio, you know, and uh, smoking stuff, and ain't going on. Everything's great. Lights are on, music's gone, windows are down, great day. Visibility's great. You can see miles and miles and miles. And I noticed this car, I'm coming up on an awful quick, and I thought, I looked, hit my turn signal, got over this lane, I'm just going to pass them, they can do what they want to do. I got from about here to about where my sister is on the yellow swallow line. I don't know why they did this. I'm over in this lane. There's two lanes going this way, two lanes going that way, and a big medium in the middle. Okay? They decided they should make a U-turn. I slammed right in the side of them, almost killed two people. My car flipped several times. I ended up on top. So the car I just got fixed is now demolished. Like most drug addicts, the first thing you're worried about is your drugs. I crawled out, found them, and threw them away. I couldn't afford to get it out. I'm just letting you know there's no change in my life. I rejected Christ, but there's no change in my life. Now, yours may not be as serious as this. They towed my car. 
I couldn't get another one. I got busted four grades in a month and a half as I was getting out of the military. There's something about sergeants, they don't like you fist fighting them. I didn't like being told what to do anymore. That's not going to work in the military. So if you have a tough time listening to people tell you what to do, don't join the military. So there I was. I got busted four grades. Now I'm confined to barracks. Listen to me. Sit still, please. Listen. Shh, quiet. Listen to me. I'm having all this problem going on, and now what happens? I finally get out. Good. I'm done with that. I come back here. I go down on Central Avenue, and a friend of mine and his sister start dealing drugs down on campus from there. Central Avenue, North Central. You know where that's at? Where the railroad viaduct goes over top? Not too far from there. Do you know drug addicts have a, a renown for not paying their bills? So his mom and dad, who owned the house that lived in Florida, said, you all have to move. You won't believe what God, God, why won't you help me? I never called on God. I, didn't, I just didn't do that. So now I had to move back in with my mommy. I'm 21 years old, been halfway around the world, fighting for my country. Everything's been taken from me. I have no girlfriend, no car, no job, no money, bumming cigarettes from off my mom, living on her dime. But nothing's changed in my life. You won't believe this. Do you know who's living right behind my mother? My brother, who'd been saved for about a year and a half, and he was bound determined everybody in the world is going to get saved. So he would top the fence, walk up to the house, witness to my mom and sisters who did not want to hear it. Boy, they gave him a tough time, didn't you, Gene? And uh, they gave him a tough time. That's who got like kids. I don't know. I've just always been nice to people. I'm out by the back door. I could hear him. He had a voice that boomed a lot more than me. You keep thinking if you get away from my voice, it's all, you'll be okay. It don't work that way. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work that way. So every time when he would come out, he was so dejected. Nobody was getting saved. He just wanted somebody to get saved. But what do you do? You turn your attention to your family. On his way out, he would stop. He'd look one scripture. Bill, don't start that stuff with me. I'm telling you, don't start that stuff with me. I got things going on. Excuse me? You're living with your mom. You don't have any money. You don't have a job. You don't have a car. You don't have a girlfriend. You, nobody comes around to help you anymore. And you got, it's amazing how you hang on to those dumb statements that everything's okay when things are not okay at all. That loneliness inside of you, your conscience right now plaguing you saying, but you know, that's the way, that's the way I feel. I think God talks to me like that sometimes. I'm talking to you. More properly, God's talking to you. There it was on a Saturday. I don't know how many weeks went by. I have no idea. I finally went one Saturday night. And God continued to talk with me. I sat in church right about over, just over here. But the church I went to was split into two sections. It's a country church out here, Haymoon Baptist Church. And about four rows back, third person in, that was me. The person beside me, I didn't know him yet, would eventually be my wife's brother. And then my brother said on the end, you listen to me well. Your own flesh and every excuse you can come up with is going to start plaguing your mind the closer we get to this invitation. You ever seen those um, comics on TV? There's a little devil on one shoulder, a little angel on the other. That doesn't happen. It's the only way I can explain it. While I'm sitting there, understand, I know nothing about church. I know nothing about spiritual anything. Okay, I'm a drunk, a dope addict, fighter. I just run. I don't care. I hate everybody because I hated me. And there I am sitting in this church. My eyes, I would not quit crying. 
my head is in my hands, my elbows are on my knees, I'm staring at the ground, and I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? Well, if God's that kind, God loves you so much. He is willing to break you if you'll turn to him, but he will not make you. And in my head, I'm thinking, you won't believe the argument. Don't give up. Don't forget about that party car. Party car. You owe some people some money. You can't do that. You've got this deal going on. All this stuff's running into my head. That would be the devil side. Trying to tell me what the world still wants to give me. On the other side, now this didn't happen, just in my head. I heard this other voice for the first time in my life. It didn't bargain at all. It just said, you know this is right, come on. You know this is right, come on. Then I did this. Wait a minute, this voice is lying to me. Nobody comes by and picks me up. Nobody cares whether I'm alive or dead. Nobody cares what's going on. This is a lie. Your whole life that you keep hanging on to is a lie. It's a facade. It's the same thing these religious people did here when they kept saying, but we're good enough. We don't do anything wrong. You're, that's a lie. That's a lie. According to God, your righteousness is filthy rank. Your sin put Jesus on the cross. That's pretty bad. When that finally dawned on me, I didn't even know what to do. So don't tell me I don't know what to do in a Baptist church. You don't know what to do when you've offended somebody and you need to ask them to forgive. You don't know how to do that without being taught. I looked at my brother. I said, Bill, what do I do? You won't believe this. I would go down from here, but I don't have a lapel mic on. He stood up in the aisleway. Now, I didn't know what an altar was. I didn't know what repentance meant. I never heard those words. You don't run around the street and hear words like that. He got up and he pointed. I got up out of my seat and came down to an altar. I just, okay, but. And that's when I had that great prayer that changed my entire life. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I did not know. Well, you address the Father through the Son, and God has made it so simple that if you never go to church, you know you're a sinner. He'll point that out to you, and he'll tell you Jesus is the Savior. So take away your church. Take away what you've been taught. Take away your education. Take away your money. Take away your family heritage. Take everything away as just Jesus in you. What are you going to do? You reject him, your life will change. You accept him, your life will change. Everything changes when you meet Christ. One way or another, everything changes. I could go on and tell you about Peter and how his life. Peter was a swearing, cursing fisherman. That's where they probably come up with the phrase, you cuss like two sailors, Peter. And uh, so what you have here is, then you have the self-righteous Paul. Paul was a murderer of Christians. He met Jesus, instant change. Oh, but with us, you know, it doesn't change that fast. Change that fast in me. Change so fast it scared me. I went home that night. I told you the story before, but it's about me. I love telling it. I went home that night. I went to bed. I felt so different. I laid down in the bed in the absolute dark and sat right back up again. Something was different. You know what it was? Peace. I couldn't believe it. Peace that passeth all understanding. I couldn't understand it. I'd never been that way before. I had never had that kind of subtle, deep, man, everything seems to be okay. I hadn't had that since the day I was born. But there's no change in my life. And there'll be no change in yours. Some people are just that way. That's not true. 
everybody changes. The maniac of Gadara, maybe this is some of you. This guy was running through the tombs. He refused to wear clothes. He's scaring everybody to death. They even shackled him, put him in jail. He broke out again, went right back to the tombs and the caves and lived there. Everybody was scared to death of him until he met Jesus. Jesus showed up that day, and he ran to Jesus and fell right at his feet. But there's no change in his life. <laughs> Who are you kidding? The Bible said after he met the Lord, he was clothed. By the way, that's what happens when you get saved. You start dressing the way you should. He was in his right mind. He was no longer delusional. He was no longer making stuff up. And he wanted to start following Jesus. Quite a change. There's no change in him. What about the woman of Samaria? You know the woman at the well? You remember her? Jesus said, give me a drink of water. She goes, wait a minute, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We have any dealings with each other, prejudiced. But Jesus said, I need to go through Samaria. You know why? He needs to meet that woman. I need to meet you, ma'am. So they begin to talk, and he's talking to her about the water and how she can never have to come back to draw water again. She goes, oh, I'm tired of this. If you could help me out. She was missing the whole thing. So Jesus said, now before we get to the, to the, to the facts about all this, uh, go get your husband. I want to talk to both of them. Watch how we answer people. Uh, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you, you, you're, you're telling me the truth. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. So she did tell the truth. But she didn't want to talk about this. You know why Jesus did that? To let her know. I know you. He knows you, my friend. He knows you. There's no sense hiding. You might as well come to him and let him change you the way he wants to. Nicodemus, maybe you're one of those religious kind of people, you know. You grew up in like that woman down south. Why, Sarah, I told you three times. My grandpa would tell me about you. I said, ma'am, I understand that. But what about you? She just would not, she didn't want to hear that. Self-righteous teenager. What amazes me are those that know you're not even close to being right and you'll defend yourself. from him and get worse, or you'll run to him and let him do what Jesus does. This woman, you know what he told her? He said, I'm not going to condemn you. You know why? We're condemned already. The Bible says so in John chapter 3, verse number 18, and also 1 John chapter 5, 12 through 14. It tells us why we're condemned already, because we don't have Jesus. You're not one day going to be condemned. Folks, listen to me. You're not one day going to be Well, we'll decide that later. You're not one day going to be condemned. You're condemned already. Adam and Eve plunge all of mankind, which is you, into sin. Your only hope is to receive Christ. It's not like you have a big decision to make here, though it is your decision. What kind of decision is that, heaven or hell? Seriously, what are you doing? But you think, one day, I'll make that, one day that's up to God to decide that. No, sir, no, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, not true. God's revealing that even to you right now. And you could ignore it. accept it, and you'll get a lot better. But I promise you, you will not stay the same. Everyone who meets Jesus will change their life. So what are you going to do? Are you in here? You came here just for a friend. I didn't come here to change anything. They didn't either. Well, I'm not like some of the people you're talking about. I know, but you're like one of the people I was talking about. And there's going to be a change. 
walk out? Then why did you walk in? Why did you walk out? Why did these people approach Jesus? And when he told them the truth, they said, I don't want to hear this. That's not us. I don't know who you're talking about. And then they attacked him. This woman who was a sinner, I mean, she's sleeping around. And God changed her whole life too. Oh, by the way, I don't deal drugs anymore. Just want to let you know. I don't fight with people unless I have to. the change. I met Jesus. Then why do we go to church? What do you want, a genie in a bottle? Who knows? Maybe I'll luck out and things will change. He's not a genie. He's the Savior of the world. His Father is God Almighty. Well, he can do what he wants. He is held by his word to do this. And he brought two people before him. Some said, I don't need this here today. We're good. But they changed. Oh, yes, they did. Almost immediately, they attacked, called him a liar, said he was suicidal. Uh, you're not of your father. I mean, they went on and on. And all they did, we don't need to change. But they were changing. And then you had the woman in Gulfport. She knew she needed change. She knew she needed help. Do you? Do you? Do you think you're okay the way you are? Really? What makes you think that? What makes you think? Well, everybody lose their temper. Cuss, fight, steal, swear, disobey your parents. Everybody kind of does that. Exactly. We're all sinners. That doesn't mean it's right. God is pointing out, see, told you, you need me. There's only one person can forgive sins, and that's Jesus Christ. The Pope can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. Only Jesus can do that. Because without the shedding of blood, it's no remission. Jesus died for you, my good friend, and he does want to bring about a change. Now, if you don't, he's going to bring about a change anyway. I want you to understand that. I just won't change right now. Oh, it won't be done on purpose. I didn't get busted four grades on purpose. I didn't almost go to prison twice on purpose. But it, it happened. <laughs> now you think like this. Why are we listening to this guy? Uh, I don't know. Do you understand something? Before you and all around you are people's lives who changed as soon as they met Jesus. And some of you, for better or worse, nobody stays the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time.